Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen and amen. Boy, you guys were singing out tonight. Amen. I was, uh, Ryan and I were a little concerned about coming, you know, when you come back from the you know, prison, worshiping, praising, and preaching in the prison, they're fired up, man. And uh, you get a little concerned, don't you, brother, about coming back. You're afraid you might get into the churched-up folk. And, you know, churched-up folk will barely sing. Churched-up folk, they forget they came out of the ditch. Listen to me now. They forget they got saved and rescued, you know, and we'll just stare at the wall, you know. Hallelujah. We ought to give him praise. And so uh, tonight, you, re- you, you helped me. You, you encouraged me. Uh, I believe you reminded that uh, he saved you too. And, uh, boy, that's good news, isn't it? Uh, tonight, we're going to dive into, and I know you're going to be surprised by this, right back to First Peter. Now, listen, be careful, be careful, not to let your flesh get tired of being in the same book, right? That's what we do. Uh, if, you're like, if your personality is like my personality, I get bored easy. And uh, sometimes repetition will kind of get me, and, and that's not a good thing. Faithfulness is a good thing, right? Repetition is a good thing, and building one on the other is a good thing. So uh, tonight, I'm reminding my flesh, if you wonder, I'm talking to myself. Uh, and so I'm praying that God would help remind me it's good for us to go verse at a time through this book and through the Word of God. And tonight we're going to get into some very, very, uh, well, complicated, not necessarily, but some widely interpreted passage. And we're going to have some fun tonight. You ready? Uh, this will be my, I don't know, fourth time to preach today. And I'm excited as I was when I got up this morning for the first one. And I can't wait for us to get into this together. So let me remind you a little bit about what's going on, okay? It's always good repetition to be reminded uh, what's going on, okay? And so we talk about uh, the author of the book is a man by the name of Peter. We call him two names. First, he was Chicken Little Peter, and then the resurrection and the Holy Spirit turned him into Bold Lion Peter. And uh, he was willing to stand flat-footed and preach Jesus no matter where he was, no matter the crowd, without apology. Uh, he preached Jesus. And, and because of that, people got saved. Lots of people got saved. Churches got built. And and I don't just mean buildings. I mean churches got built with people and giftings. And oh, what a wonderful life Peter had walking with Jesus. And as we watch the end of his life, nearing the end of his life, we see these two letters where the Holy Spirit of God uh, wrote through him. Now, it's the same Peter who said, I always have to hold in context. This is the same guy who said, I'm going to go with you wherever you go. And if it costs my life, I'm going with you. And I'll never let you down, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you ain't. And, and three times you'll deny me before the rooster crows. And again, I want to keep reminding you, uh, because it's good to remember who the author is. It means God can use anybody. Um, he loved him all the way, even though Jesus was right, Peter was wrong. And uh, what a wonderful story of God using uh, lives, messed up lives, to make a message. And that's what he's a master of. So tonight, as we continue on, we learn in the first chapter that we have a living hope. That's the difference in the believer and the unbeliever. The believer has a living hope. The unbeliever places their hope in all kind of dead things like careers, like parents, like sports, like, like all kinds of things here on the earth. But none of those things can sustain them. None of those things can, can provide hope that lasts. Come on, y'all amen if you know what I'm talking about. And so he's teaching them and preaching to them in this recorded letter to remind them that their living hope is in Jesus. And that, listen to me, that living hope ought to make a difference in your life, especially when things are difficult. 
Uh, that living hope, it's, it's the one time that you can show people you have a different hope. It's a living hope, not a dead hope. And difficulty highlights it better than anything else. So that's the context of the book. We've learned a little bit this morning about suffering for right and wrong, didn't we? And we saw the fact that uh, suffering for the good has great benefit, right? We're going to suffer either way, uh, but there's great benefit to suffering for righteousness' sake, okay? Now, picking up in chapter number uh, 3 and beginning in verse number 18. And you said we already covered 18. Well, 18 is going to flow into the text and the context of what we're about to look at, okay? Now, did you bring your quick writing pencil with you tonight? Because Gerald saw my three pages of notes, and here's what he said. Are we going to have praise time tonight? <laughs> and so uh, I hope that you will get down where you can. And listen, if you don't get it all down, let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll message, I'll email it to you, I'll get it to you so that you can have this as well, okay? And so here we go. Y'all ready to go on a journey? All right. I want to invite you then to stand on your feet and read with me, if you will, First uh, Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 18, all the way down through chapter 4 and verse number 6, okay? Y'all ready? Here we go. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The just, y'all help me, for the, we remember that from this morning. Even after our nap, we remember that. Uh, that he might bring us to God. I want you to picture him, nail-scarred hand, taking your hand and ushering you to God as now his child. Boy, what a powerful Savior. Uh, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. By the Spirit. You need to hang on to that. It was by the Holy Spirit that Jesus was resurrected, by the Spirit. By whom, verse 19, also he went and preached by the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits that are in prison now, who formerly were disobedient. When? During the time the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. You know, it took uh, some 120 years around that time to build this ark. In which a few, that is, eight souls were saved. How, that, how were they saved? Through the water, right? Uh, they were they came into the ark and water, uh, by the ark, they were saved from the water. Uh, verse number 21. There is also, this is, there is rather, and also an antitype which now saves us. What is it? Oh, wait a minute. Uh, parentheses, parenthetical statement. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. All hail King Jesus. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live in the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men. But instead, how should they live the rest of their time? For the will of God. We've changed. We're different. We have a living hope. His name is Jesus. Verse 3. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. And that's a reference to lost people, okay. Uh, when we walked in lewdness and lusts and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in this same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Oh, we got some stuff to deal with. Are you glad you came? Hey, look how many of you came out on a Sunday night. I, I'm, I'm excited. So let's pray, all right? We'll get right to it, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the great 
magnitude of your word, what it represents. Father, how you preserved it, how you inspired men by your own breath to pen these letters that would, that would also not only impact the audiences of their day, but also you knew would be eternal words uh, that would impact us now. So, God, would you help me once again? Uh, for the fourth time today, you've been so faithful all along. Would you do it again now? In my weak and tired and flesh, Lord, put on display that you are Alpha Omega, beginning and end. That you are the author and the finisher of my faith. And that, God, because you are who you say you are, you can take me, tired, weak, and less than ordinary, and preach a word that displays your power. That it, we leave out of here with clarity and transformation. And so, Lord, as you do that through me, also uh, preach to me. God, I need to be transformed. I came in today like everybody else. I need to be transformed tonight. And so please speak to my heart and speak to the heart of all of us. Deal with us as dear children. And we pray this in the power and the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. As you're being seated, we're going to just get right to work, all right? Now, if I was to ask a poll of the crowd, we start by saying Christ also suffered once for sins, uh, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive. We're going to have to catch the end of verse 18 to carry on into and understand the context of what we're about to look at. Uh, he was made alive. He, he was the just who died for the unjust. Uh, now, we said the unjust are who? <laughs> I love that. Jim said me. That's exactly right. Me and you and you and you and you. And it's the whole wide world. It's the, it's the whosoever of the gospel. It's all of us. We've all broken God's law. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so Jesus died the just for the unjust, okay? But then he talks for a minute about now the spirit made him alive. And by that same spirit, by that same spirit, something happens, okay? Now, this is a widely debated text. And I'm telling you, uh, I heard a, 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 a theologian, a professor, if you will, one of the major uh, seminaries say uh, he had chronicled at least 96 different interpretations of this. Can you believe that? 96. And of those 96, you can just kind of hold a bunch of them because they're like, you know, way out in right field. And you can narrow it down to about two or three that, that are possibilities. Y'all tracking with me? So tonight, as I stand here, I believe that through the Scripture, I'm going to make a very compelling case to where I land on what I believe to be the proper interpretation of this passage, okay? Now, we're going to spend some time here just so that you have clarity when you leave here because understanding of the Word is power, right? And so as we think about this, some would say in verse 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, who went? Jesus went, uh, and he went and preached to the spirits who are in prison, who are currently in prison. Now, the word is a present tense form means they're in prison now. Now, most of my life I've heard a couple of different, I'm just going to really deal with two that are the most popular, and there are some very uh, famous, if you will, well-known, we'll put it that way, well-respected theologians who land in some different camps on this. First one I want to talk for a minute about is that what Jesus did when he died is that he went down into hell and this place may be called paradise. People say sometimes it's like the paradise of God. And it's a place like the upper level of Sheol, which is like the abode of the dead. And that Jesus went there and he preached to Old Testament saints. And what he did is he preached the gospel to the Old Testament believers. Now, how many of you have ever heard that before? Raise your hand. Okay. And I want to ask who, who believes that. That's, that's between you and the Lord. But you've heard that before, okay? And so let me just sort of, if I could, take a moment and explain to you why uh, this could not, in fact, be the case. Uh, it says that he went and preached, and he, pre he went and preached to these spirits. Now, remember, a spirits is a word that is referring to or a word that means you and me. Did you know that? Did you know that you are not a body uh, that, that has a spirit? 
But instead, you are, oh, some of y'all are getting it. It's starting to come together already. Now, don't get ahead of me. Uh, you are a spirit that temporarily houses a body. Now, because our eyes are what usually guide us, we see each other's facial features and our physical bodies, and we say, well, that's Blaine, and that's John, and that's Deanne, and that's Nora, and we identify each other with our bodies. But our bodies are a temporary housing of who we are. We are a spirit. Oh. And so we think about how this applies to the text, and he says he goes and preached to uh, he preached to the spirits who are in prison. So he goes somewhere, and he, and he identifies them here in verse number 20, who were, y'all reading with me, who formerly were, help me, disobedient. Now, as I want to talk for a minute about going into paradise and preaching to Old Testament saints, I want to just say for a minute, first of all, uh, the word paradismo or the word for paradise is used three times in the New Testament, three, all right? And all three of those times, it is a direct reference to heaven, the abode of God, all right? Now, let me give you what those three examples are. You might jot them down there in your notes, all right? And so, as we think about this, Paul in 2 Corinthians says, uh, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, I believe this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, whether in the body, I don't know, whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows, such a one was called up to, does anybody know what? The third heaven. The third heaven, right? Somebody said paradise, but the third heaven. And he said, I know such a man. Now, Paul's talking about himself. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. How he was called up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for man to utter down here on earth. So we see the first, or we don't see the first, but we see one example of the word paradise. So Jesus could not have gone into paradise and preached Old Testament saints as in some holding cell uh, for those who were waiting to be delivered into heaven after his resurrection. You with me? How do you know that? Because paradise is explained as what? Heaven, the place where God abides. Y'all going to have to track with me now because I've got to go a little bit faster than what I'm going right now. Secondly, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 7, all right? Here's what it says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right? Revelation 2, verse number 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life. Now, where is this tree of life? Which is in the midst, y'all help me, of the paradise of God. Do you know where the tree of life is? It's in heaven. It's in the kingdom of heaven, the place where God abides. There's another place. Uh, that this word paradisimo is used in the Greek that's translated into English as paradise. And it's in Luke 23 and verse number 43. And here's what it says. Jesus is dying on the cross. And he's got a thief on one hand on one side and a thief at the other. One is continuing to antagonize him. Both were, but now just one of them are. One has antagonized him all the way through. One, uh, in the process of time, uh, determines in his heart that Jesus must be Lord. And so he says to him, uh, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus responds to him by saying, and Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me. There's the word again, in Now can you imagine if Jesus said to him, now today you'll see me in the upper level of Sheol. Don't that sound exciting? Uh, don't you know that comforted his heart? No. He's saying today, this day, today, you're going to see me because I'm going to be. So then, listen, if Jesus is going to see him in paradise, the abode of God, where did Jesus go when he died? Heaven. He said, you're going to see me this day in the kingdom of where, where God, where the Father resides. And so we can determine that he did not go into paradise and preach to Old Testament saints. Not only that, but remember in the Old Testament, a reference to a believer versus an unbeliever is not that their faith is in Jesus. Y'all with me? 
Because why? Christ did not come. He's a promised. He's a coming Messiah. So their faith is forward. Our faith is backward. We don't have a backwards faith, but we're looking back. Y'all understand what I mean. All right? I want to be clear there. So uh, we understand as they look forward, they have a faith that God is who he says he is and that he's going to provide a way for them to be right with him. And they're trusting ahead that God is who he says he is. And what happens is, it's, this, it's interesting because the same word for faith in the, in the New Testament, koinone Greek, is a common word. It's another word in the Hebrew, but both of them are two-part words. Both mean faith that leads to action. It's why, it's why the scripture says, and Abraham believed and his faith was accounted to him as righteousness. Now, can you remember anything in Abraham's life that proved that he in fact believed? Something happened with one of his sons, the son of promise. Do you remember what it was? God said, I want you to take this one and only son, this son that I promised you, this son that you waited for for so, so long, this son that you prized, the son that I promised you to be the heir of nations, and I want you to take this son and I want you to sacrifice him. Oh, look, goodness, I got some folk looking around like, what, God asked somebody to kill somebody? Hang on, hang on. And so he does. You remember, he, he loads up, he, he gets his wood together, he loads his son up on the donkey, get, begins to make the trip, and he says, I'm going to tell you where to go, and he's leading, and they go, start going up the mountain. And remember, Isaac says, you know, we got the wood, and we got the rope, we got the knife, we got everything we need for the sacrifice, but Daddy, where is the, <laughs> where's the sacrifice? And remember that Abraham said to his son, the Lord will provide. Now, don't never, never forget this. Never forget at the base of that mountain, when, 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 when Abraham goes up, he says to the people there, to those that he leaves at the base, he says, now you stay here and we, a plural pronoun, will return. Now, he didn't know whether or not he was going to take the life of his son and Jesus was going to resurrect, I mean, God was going to resurrect him or if some other provision was going to be made. And what happens? He gets up to the top, he gets him tied up, gets everything cut, and he's getting ready with his knife drawn to sacrifice his own son. And God calls to him and says, Abraham, hang on, I, got, I'm, I'm, I see now. Your faith, it's a two-part. Your belief has been acted upon. What you believe dictates what you do. And because you believe, you're doing. And now stop. I don't, want, I don't want you to take your son's life. I've got a ram caught over here in the thicket that's provided because he's a God who's willing to substitute for us. Aren't you glad of that? Now, back to what we're saying here. Uh, Old Testament saints were referred to as the obedient, right? In the Old Testament, it was just uh, you were identified as a believer and unbeliever based on whether you were obedient or you were not obedient. You're obedient or disobedient. Does that make sense? Now, their obedience didn't make them right with God, but their obedience proved that they had faith in God. Does that make sense? So it's a two-part faith. The faith at least, I'm getting excited. I'm early. i got to calm down. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? So, so do you understand why they're called obedient and disobedient, the difference between the two? If they have a faith, their faith dictates what they do. And not that they were perfectly obedient, but most of the time they were following as best they could by faith a relationship with the Father. So, in fact, it could not be that he's calling and referring to the Old Testament saints as, verse 20, those who formerly were disobedient. Well, you say, well, maybe that was before they had faith. No, he says they were, they were disobedient during the time the divine long suffering waited. When? In the days of Noah. Specifically in this particular time leading up to the flood. Wow. So it can't be that he went and preached this gospel to Old Testament saints in paradise. Does it seem pretty clear to you uh, from the scripture. Okay, it does to me. Uh, widely debated, but I'm just telling you, to me, it just makes such clear sense. Now, there's another, another wild, I'm only going to mention two. There's another really widely known uh, uh, interpretation that says that he 
what he did is he went and they take spirits and they take, take spirits to mean only fallen angels and demons. And so the reference here they believe is that when Jesus died, he went in and basically shook his finger at those who were fallen angels and demons. Now, I say that he, 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 it was not that he went, it couldn't be, it couldn't be that, uh, that he was emptying paradise, okay, because it's not, he didn't go to paradise, it was heaven, and he didn't go to heaven to empty heaven uh, because that would make no sense, right? And Old Testament saints aren't called disobedient, but at the same time, he would not be preaching to demons who were already in prison for hundreds of thousands of years that are already being judged. Wouldn't make a whole lot of sense, would it, to go down to the jail and say, see, look at you. Uh, I don't find it in the nature of Christ to be a, I told you so. Nowhere in the Scripture can you find that. Now, is he a God who judges? Sure he is. Uh, he lets his, and I believe uh, what you can find in the Scripture is that his judgment is finality, right? And he lets that do the word, the, the, the final judgment. There's no discussion back and forth. It's just the judgment proves he's Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. So see, he could not have been emptying paradise. He would, would not be preaching to demons. And so now let me build a case as to what I believe you can see very clearly in the Scripture what he is speaking to. First of all, Roman numeral one in your notes, write this down. Jesus, write this statement down. Jesus went and preached through Noah. Write that down. We're going to express that. We're going to talk about that. We're going to flesh that out for just a minute, okay? Now let me read, if I can, verse number 19. By whom... Uh, Jesus, by whom, now, now let's, we're going to get back to that in just a minute, but hang on to that by whom. By whom also he, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison. Jesus went and preached through Noah. Now, uh, the hard part about this, people say is, what does it mean here to say that he preached? Well, the word there is keruso. And the word keruso means to publicly proclaim. It's a word that means, and the person in the town in this particular culture would know the kerox, which would be the preacher, if you will. Now, this preacher wasn't necessarily a tied or attached to faith in God. Every town had one. It's also the word, uh, the, the Greek word is kerox, but the word that you may have heard it translated into is herald. You ever, anybody ever heard that word, a herald? Now, what did that mean? They didn't have social media. They didn't have a newspaper. Uh, they didn't have a way. They didn't have an airplane so they could put it on a banner and fly the airplane around. Uh, there was no way for them to communicate what the king said, except every town, every, every, every governing place had a Kerux or a herald. And oftentimes, they would blast a trumpet, right, get everybody's attention. And when they blast the trumpet, they'd unroll the scroll and they would say with absolute authority, this is what the king said. And they didn't debate it. They didn't, hey, what do y'all think about it? They didn't say, let's take a, a, a vote on it. They just unrolled. They blast the horn, got everybody's attention and said, here's what the king said. And you know what everybody did? They did exactly what the king said. Uh, otherwise, they would always perish. And in this particular time, you know they would perish in heinous ways. The Roman machine was awful. So uh, Jesus was a... So what he says is, by whom? By the Spirit. So he just talked about that. By, alive by the Spirit. By whom? By the Spirit. Also he, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient. So let me just kind of ask you to see in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Write that in your notes there. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Noah is referred to as a kerux, a, a preacher of righteousness. Huh. So what was Noah doing back in that day? Was he just hammering nails? Uh, was he just sawing wood? Uh, was he just building the boat? No. He was, in fact, while he was building the boat, by, by the way, which was a sign of his faith, faith has action. He, as he's doing this, he is preaching, somebody help me, righteousness. 
And it is, in fact, so Noah is referred to as a preacher of righteousness. You may not realize it, but as he's building the boat, he's warning people. He's preaching to them there is a way and that God has a way and that they have to get in line with God's way and they need to get right with God and their lives don't line up with what the king says, the king of kings, God himself, El Shaddai. And he's teaching this and he's preaching this. And every piece of wood he's cutting and every nail he's hammering is an indictment. It's a, if you will, I want you to hear him echoing as he is begging people for 120 years, he's warning them, and they are walking in disobedience. They're hearing his warnings about righteousness and where it can be found and how they can have faith in the God who made them, and they thumb their noses, and they say no over 120 years worth of no's. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought about the ministry God's given me, and it'd be very difficult to be out there hammering and sawing and building something that ain't even rained yet. You're out there building this grand boat. And you said God told you to do it. And you're telling people you need to get right with God. And they're thumbing their noses at God and saying, I'm not taking his way. I'll not do it. I'm not going to believe. I'm going to do things my way. And I've always been doing things my way. My daddy did things his way. And we drink and we cuss and we cut up. And we do whatever we want to do. And we're not worried about you, Noah. Go ahead and build your boat. And so in that time, they're living in disobedience. Y'all tracking with me? So Jesus went and preached through Noah. He was described as a preacher of righteousness in verse chapter 2, Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And he did not, I'm going to read it, and he did not spare, God did not spare the ancient world. But he saved who? Noah, one of eight people. All right, now this is Peter's second letter, and he's referring back again to this eight people, small group of people that were saved. Noah is described here as a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now, so we can determine that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, so we can make that clear. We can determine who the group of people are because they were disobedient during the time of the divine long-suffering. God was patient with them. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you say that after the first 10 years of boat building and preaching righteousness? I don't know about you guys, but I get tired of fooling with folks. Oh, just me and you, Brother Joey. The rest of these people, they don't have a problem with everybody messing up all the time. Uh, I do. I get tired of fooling with I get tired of fooling with me. But can you imagine, you know, how many of you know somebody in your life <clears throat> that, is law, that is even self-proclaimed a non-believer, and they live their life accordingly? They thumb their nose at God. They say, I'll do whatever I want to do. I'll do it how I want to do it. I don't have to believe in that nonsense. That's for weak-minded people. You go ahead. And can you imagine, uh, however long you've been dealing with them, can you imagine preaching the good news to them, preaching righteousness to them, found in Jesus for 120 straight years? And them to continue to say what? No, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. I'm not going along with what you say. I don't believe there's a flood coming. I don't believe there's a day of judgment. I don't believe in God. I don't believe. I don't believe. I don't believe. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so there's this, this group of people in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19. We, we say Jesus went and preached through Noah. Now let's talk for a minute about number two, Roman numeral two. How did he do it? And what I want to do is answer this twofold, okay? First, by whom and then to whom, all right? And I've kind of already answered that a little bit now. So I may double track. That okay with you all? Uh, what will happen is if I double track, it will really drive it home in your heart and mind, okay? And so uh, let me just sort of, if I can, walk through this. So how did uh, Jesus preach through Noah? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, well, no? Okay, well, it is interesting to me, all right? Maybe not you guys, but to me it's very interesting. So by whom did he do this, all right? By whom? Uh, first of all, let's look in verse number 19. Let's go back to 18, end of 18. Being put to death in the flesh, Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by who? The Spirit. By whom? Now we're talking about uh, how did Jesus go? 
uh, preach to these spirits who are now in prison, who were disobedient all the way to the end, all the way to the boat door shut, all the way till flood came and drowning happened, and they were immediately imprisoned. Uh, how did he do it? By whom, in verse 19, write this down, number one, by whom? By the Spirit of Christ. By the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show it to you if I can. Y'all got that written down so we can turn and look at something together? No, I'm going to give you a minute to write it, okay? By whom? By the Spirit of Christ. How did Jesus uh, preach through Peter? How did he go and preach to those people? Because, you know, Jesus was born on Christmas Day. And uh, how in the world, if he was born on Christmas Day, did he way long time ago uh, go and preach through Noah? All right? Now, I'm going to answer that a couple of ways. He, he did it by the Spirit of Christ. Now, let me show you. Peter has already made the case. He's already done it. Look back in chapter 1. Y'all having as much fun as I am? Is everybody still glocked in? Don't miss anything now. All right? So 1 Peter chapter 10, verse 10, excuse, yes, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. All right? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. You mean to tell me, preacher, you think that the spirit of Jesus was in Noah? I don't think it. I know it. You mean to tell me, preacher, because, because I thought the Holy Spirit came at the day of Pentecost, and that was after Jesus ascended into heaven, and, and he sent his spirit down. Yes, but Old Testament prophets and men of God like David uh, God chose to put the Holy Spirit on them. Now, let me, let me explain. <clears throat> All right, pick up with me, if you will. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 10. Y'all, come on, stay with me now. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time. Okay, here it is. Y'all, read it with me. The Spirit of Christ, who was, oh, circle that in your Bible. There, he was where? Where was the Spirit of Christ with the Old Testament prophets? Where was he with Noah? In him. And so Jesus is preaching through Noah to a group of people who are disobedient, even though there's divine long-suffering and patience. God is patient. He's patient. And can I tell you, there's a, there's a picture of what's going on today. Uh, God's Spirit is dealing with you today and me today and daily. And you know what I thought about this week more than ever before? That when I preach, it's the Spirit of Christ preaching through. The same Spirit of Christ preached through them, preached through me. And I said, glory to God that he could use somebody like me. And that the same Jesus was preaching back there is still preaching today. Isn't that good? Man, that's good news. And so Jesus is preaching through now, and, and he did it. He's, he's in the Old Testament saints, indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And so the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ was in Noah preaching. Jesus was preaching through Noah to a disobedient people. Is it coming clear to anybody here tonight besides me? But somebody's thinking, but wait a minute. You said that Jesus started on Christmas. So how in the world does that work? Write this note, note down, verse down in your notes. My mind's getting beside me and behind me. And John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1. Anybody know what that says? When? In the beginning. In the beginning. Which means before time began. In the beginning, what? Was the Word. And the Word? And the Word? How about that? And you read on down a little bit, and you say, well, I don't, you don't, how do you know that that Word is speaking to Jesus? Well, if you read on down this a little bit, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the only begotten, okay, and the glory, as if the, the, the very glory of God in the form of man. And so it's Jesus who was preaching 
through Noah. How did he do it? By the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, preaching through Noah for them to, to, to repent, to turn. Now, let me remind you that Christ has always been operative. He didn't begin on Christmas Day. Uh, we just celebrated a time when he came down to us, when he came and took on uh, flesh, that he might be the, the just suffering for the unjust. You see, he had to put on a human body in order to die. And so understand tonight that he's always operative. He's always been operating. In creation, Jesus is operative. He's operating and moving and doing. In redemption, Jesus is operating and doing. And today in your life, Jesus is operating and doing. Isn't that good news? He's operating and doing. And so Jesus preached there. No, I think we built the case already, but we're going to go on just in case. Number two, we said we we're going to answer by whom and to whom. Let me just sort of, if I could, clarify this again. And to those who were disobedient, here's the answer. To whom? To those who were disobedient to Jesus' warnings through Noah. Put it that way. It wasn't Noah's warnings. It was whose? Jesus' warnings through Noah. And so you, remind, you be reminded of this. As you go out and warn the world of a day of judgment, you go out and, and you tell people of the wonderful rescue that Jesus provides, and they thumb their nose at you, and they turn their back, and they make fun of you, you be reminded it is not your warning or your offer they're saying no to. It is the Spirit of Christ working in you. Well, that'll free you up, won't it? Huh? I can settle in and just tell people, I don't care what you say back. I don't care if you get mean, shut the door on me. I don't care if you call me names. It doesn't matter to me, you know why, because it's not my gospel. It is the gospel that saved me, and it can save you. But if you reject it, it's not me rejecting. It's him. And I do care because it's, well, there's a judgment day coming. Let me move on if I can, all right? To whom? It was those who were disobedient during the warnings of Jesus Christ through Noah. We've already disqualified the fact that it's not Old Testament saints and it's not fallen angels, but it is to specifically those who were disobedient during the time of Noah building uh, the ark. Okay, are we clear on that, everybody? Yes? All right, can I give you one more? Let me just give you one more. Here it is. Jesus, in fact, uh, calls out the fact that the people of Noah's day ignored the message. He, Jesus made this point. Here it is, Luke 17, 26 and 27. Jesus himself. Isn't it interesting? How would Jesus be able to know? Well, I, there's a couple of ways he could, but this is what really just lights my fire. How Jesus knew that they had been disobedient just lights my fire. You think on it. I'm going to answer it. You, you, some of y'all are smiling already. You know. Uh, Luke 17, 26. Just as it was in the day. Y'all reading with me? Luke 17, 26 and 27. Just as it was in the days of Noah. How about that? So also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day, the very day that Noah entered the ark. What's he saying? They kept ignoring the preaching of righteousness. They kept on with their drinking parties. They kept on. Uh, and, and by the way, how is it that marriage has become such a drinking party? And they kept on, and they didn't heed the warnings. And they just kept on doing their thing, and they thought they were okay, and they thought things were fine. And then it started raining. And then there were no boats to be found. And then the one boat that was covered with pitch, that word pitch for, that was painted on the ark is the same word for atonement. <laughs> oh, boy. And there was only one way in, and it was God's invitation, and it was through righteousness by faith. And they had said no. They'd rejected, rejected. And listen to me. There comes a time finally when God shuts the door on his gracious invitation. And the door will be closed. And the flood will be light compared to what comes next. 
So we see Jesus talking about the fact that they were there and they ignored the warning. Then the flood, listen to what the last part of verse 27 says. You ready? So they're doing, they're doing life. They're drinking, man. They're getting drunk, having a blast and marrying and buying food and building. They're having just a great time doing life, man. They're doing life and doing it big. And Noah entered the ark because <laughs> oh, God told him to and everybody else ignored him. And then less than the last sentence. Then the flood came. And y'all help me? And destroyed all of them. Destroyed all of them. After 120 years of Jesus preaching, the invitation to come by faith to a righteous position with God and the thumbing of the nose and the I'm going to do what I want to do and the continual, no, I'm going to be my own king. And finally there came a time that the boat door was closed and the wrath of God was poured out. And I want to say to you that there's coming a day in time where every single person will face, if not covered by the Lord Jesus, if not covered by the atoning blood of the Lamb, uh, they will face, you will face the wrath of God. And it's a scary thing. And it will destroy all who face it. You with me? Now, let me just sort of move on if I can. I believe we've proved that case. Anybody agree with me that so far I believe we very clearly and very adequately uh, proved through the Scriptures that Jesus preached through Noah to the disobedient people of his day, and they ignored him. And then the door was shut, and the rain came down, and masses of bodies. Can you see them floating, swollen? You know, they tried to swim as long as they could. You know, the creeks rose, the lakes rose, water came from under the ground, water came from top of the earth. And water's just going, and can you imagine, you know, you're watching your houses get swiped away, and next thing you're separated from your children, all of a sudden you're floating out in the middle of a mass of water, you have no idea where you're going. If you didn't get killed in the pummeling of stuff rushing in the water, then you made it to float for a day or so until finally your body gave out and you sank, but then you sank for so long and then you swole up and some of them went to the bottom, some came to the top. You ever seen a mass of ants when they all drown and they're floating on top of the water in a big old pile? Can you imagine what that must have looked like with bodies all over the earth? And it was not... The meanness of God that caused it to happen. It was the ignoring of the preaching of righteousness. Through Jesus, through, from Jesus, through, somebody help me. Boy, y'all going to be able to teach this passage to somebody before this thing is done, all right? Number three, all right, so we're going to move right on from that. I'm going to read 19 and 20, and we're going to hit number three in our notes. So, well, so far, we said, um, one, Jesus went and preached through Noah. Two, uh, how, by whom, and to whom, by whom, the Spirit of Christ, who was in those Old Testament saints and, and, and prophecies and prophets. In verse two, I mean, number two, we said, uh, to whom, those who were disobedient in the time of Noah. Third, we're going to talk now about a question, and we're going to answer this in a couple different ways. The question is posed from verse number 21. Are you ready? Uh, let's read. Uh, who formerly were disobedient when the, once the divine long-suffering, I mean, verse 20, waited in the days of Noah. Isn't God patient to deal with somebody for 120 years? I cannot deal with somebody very long. Can you? I'm just telling you, I'm asking God to do a work of grace in my life because people, you get on my nerves after about two years. Huh? After, I'm serious now. After about two years and I see people come in, they get close to God and they experience the favor of God and he's blessing their marriage and he's blessing their children. Things are going great and they're in a place of peace. And I watch them and I get so fired up. And, and all of a sudden they go to chasing a travel ball around and get all these plastic rings, one ring on every field all across every state in the South. Everybody's winning national championship, you know, every week, every game, every ball field. And I watch them slowly disappear. And then I watch them as their marriage erodes. And then I watch as their children grow up to drink and, and cut up and act a fool and have no idea about the admonition in the ways of God, and I'm telling you, it, 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 after two years, it gets on my last nerve. 
Here's why. I think about the man of God not leading his home and leading his family to a terrible place in which one day he'll answer. And I don't, listen, I, when I say it, it tears me up, I don't get around and say, well, I can't wait till he faces the wrath of God for that. No, it breaks my heart. Because I know between now and then, between now and the reckoning, between now and the answering, I know the wife's going to suffer, the kids are going to suffer, everybody's got some suffering to do. And not the suffering for righteousness that has great benefit. The suffering for doing wrong that is costly. So be careful. Just stay close. I, listen, I don't know where that came from, but that was just a little side note. <laughs> verse number 21. Okay, verse number 21. There, all right, so he, he says uh, this, this picture of Noah, while, verse 20, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls were saved through water. So uh, see the context. Now remember the audience. I know we've kind of gone all over. We've learned a lot already. But now go back to the context. They're a small group of people who have found faith in Jesus amongst a large group of people who have not. Y- y'all remember back to the, what's going on? Yeah. They're in a, there are way more of unbelievers in this area that receive this letter than there are believers. And so they get the picture of eight people being saved through the ark, right? They understand that they are the minority. All right, let's read a little further. Uh, through, they, did, they were saved through water. There is also an antitype. Now this is, uh, I'll have to explain that in just a minute, all right? Which now, help me somebody. Saves us. And the antitype that saves us is, I love that. Y'all won't even hardly say it. Y'all like, above. <laughs> just, just read it. That's all I'm asking you to do. Just read it. And there are, there are denominations that are built solely on the idea that you have to go into the baptismal pool, into the waters, whether it be, you know, a creek, a river, what have you. And if you don't, you are not going to heaven. Now, uh, we need to clarify that because if that's true, if that's true, we need to know it so that we can be teaching it so that we can hurry up and get you in the water, okay? Y'all with me? I right, don't doze off because if you miss something here, you leave out here saying, Brother Terry said you got to get baptized or you're not going to heaven. Don't you doze off and lie on me, all right? Stay, stay in here. Let's stay close and listen attentively. Here we go, all right? Do, here's the question, number th- Roman number three, does baptism save us? Well, I want to clarify first by asking a different question. And the different question that I believe really is what people are trying to say is justifies us. Now, is there a difference? Just hang on. I'll flesh that out. So justification, what does it mean? It means that I have been made right with God. And here's a good way to remember the word justification. Just as if I never committed a sin. Justified. I can be in the eyes of God in the same condition in Jesus, as if I never broke one of his laws. That's, that is unbelievable. Some of y'all are like, yeah, yeah, and the rest of y'all are just sort of staring at me. Are you kidding? I mean, man, that makes me want to shout and run and scream and um, th- that God could see me, and I've broken a bunch of them. You know I mean? I know that the law says if I broke one, I broke them all, but I'm talking about like literally I broke a bunch of them. And in Jesus, God sees me as justified. When did that happen? Well, Ephesians 2.8 says it is by faith. Right? He says, by grace, you have been saved. How? Through faith. Now, do you see baptism in there? So, all right. So, I'm justified. I'm made right with God. It's a gracious offer. I don't deserve it. But it comes to me how? Through faith. So, in essence, when I believe and take action on that belief of surrendering, confessing Jesus, agreeing with God that Jesus is Lord, then I receive the Holy Ghost of God and I'm sealed in the faith and I become a child of God. Well, wait a minute. I thought he just said... You know, you got to, well, hang on. All right, what justifies us? It's faith. For instance, here's another passage. How about John chapter 3 and verse number 16? What does it say? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever is baptized. No. Whosoever believes, there it is, in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Y'all still having fun? I'm having so much fun right now. And so whoever believes. So what justifies us? One word. Faith. Faith in specifically. Two, two things about Jesus. Let me get a little more specific, okay. The person of Christ, the son of God. And the work of Christ, the cross and the resurrection. Does that make sense to you? So that just get a little more detailed. Instead of just saying Jesus, uh, Jesus in the work of Christ, that he died on the cross and accomplished for me what I could not accomplish for myself. And the person of Christ, he's the son of God. God become man. Okay, is that, is that, is that good? And the power of his resurrection. That's part of the work of Christ. Are y'all still with me? Okay, that's what justifies me. So wait a minute, wait a minute. What about this salvation thing? Well, let me tell you something about salvation for just a minute. I'm just going to wreck some of y'all and you're going to have to take some time to really pray through it. But salvation is referred to in the Scripture as past tense, present tense, and future tense. I love that look right there. Like, what did he just say? Here we go. Ephesians 2.8, have been saved. By grace through faith you have, God help me, have been saved. What is that? Past tense. When I came to faith, I was saved. But now wait. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, he says, and this is, if you're keeping notes, salvation is past tense, Ephesians 2, 8, have been saved. It is continual or present tense, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, okay, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are be, wait a minute, are there what? Are being saved. So I am saved, past tense, but at the same time, I am being saved. Boy, some of y'all are getting so, you're going to think on this for a little bit, aren't you? So I was saved. I am being saved. But let me give you another one. Just sort of, I can seal this thing up. It's past, present, and future. Future, Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. Salvation, he said, Paul said to believers, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The future full realization of our salvation. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? By the way, if it was a simple little cheap little salvation, it wouldn't be much salvation, would it? And I want you to understand the ways of God are so high above my ways and your ways that we can hardly wrap our mind around them. So, so what he says about baptism first is the key. He says in verse 21, there is also an antitype. Now, an antitype is not something in, in, in opposition to, but it's something that represents or is a sign of another. Now, I'm going to give you an example that I heard not too long ago about a typewriter. How many of you remember what a typewriter is? We had, uh, we had a lady at, in, at, at Byram at the old high school, and she'd say, she talked to us like, like third grade. We were like juniors in high school. She'd say, second period. Y'all remember periods? Okay, good. I'm, I'm amongst my people. They say, second period. She says, second period, second period. Stop. Hit the J. J period. J period. S period. S. And so you'd be, y'all remember that sound? In the typing lab? And so what would happen is you would hit the J, the key that symbolizes the J. But on the little selectric, that little, that little ball, when you hit the J with your, with your finger, right, and when you hit the J, it, what it would do is spin that ball, and that J would be in the ink, and it would strike against the paper, right? Boy, that was loud, wasn't it? It got your attention now. And so now, my question for you is, uh, did the J, the literal J, stay on the page? No, it's on the selectric. The literal J is still on the metal ball. But a type of the J, type right. Oh, somebody just got it, huh? Huh? 
And so, and so a type of the J just got put on the page, but the real J, the authentic J is where? Still on the selectric. So now we began to see a picture of baptism being not the thing that saves us, but instead a sign or an antitype or a picture of what happened when we were saved. Oh, I wish somebody would get what I'm saying tonight. And so we want to be careful as we walk through this. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Isn't it good? Now, by the way, wouldn't you be saved? Wouldn't you be saved? And if you'd be saved, wouldn't you also be baptized? And, and I want to ask you tonight, if you're in here or if you're listening to this outside of here or if in the podcast you hear this later on and you have, in fact, been born again, you've invited Jesus to be Lord and you've not been baptized, let me stop for a minute, pause, and cause you to grab a hold of this great truth, all right? Here's a statement I want to make to you. If you follow Jesus, you should follow Jesus. And you might say, wait a minute now, well, because Baptists have been so careful to try to preserve the fact that you don't have to be baptized to be saved, that somehow in the process we have, and I believe accidentally, uh, diminished the importance of baptism. If you have followed Jesus, then follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you will follow Jesus. You can no more say that you have been born again if you're not interested in being baptized than a man in the moon. There ought to be a stirring in your heart, a desire in your heart to picture to the world what's happened in your life. Now, let me just talk a little bit more about it if I can, all right? Now, I'm gonna, we're going to get a little more technical, y'all, okay? Your brain's reeling just yet? Come on, now, fourth message of the day. We're in this thing now. We're going to finish it together, all right? So in Colossians 2, and I'm going I'm to take you here in a minute, verse 11 and 12. Listen to me now. Don't turn there because I need you to listen before we go to it. Baptism and circumcision are used together as, uh, as an imagery. Are you with me? They're compared together, okay? Now, uh, most people believe that circumcision in the Old Testament meant that that person made that person a believer because they had a circumcision. They were outward sign of a covenant with God. But listen to what he says, okay? In Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Y'all tracking with me? Okay, here we go. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. He's talking about us who have put our faith in Jesus. He has carved away the old heart and given us a new heart. Let me read on. How? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. Oh, 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 comparison. Same way that you were buried in baptism. In which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So then, question. Was the sign that produced the righteousness or was it the faith that produced the action of taking the sign? Think about it. Think about it for a minute. All right, let me build the case. Romans chapter 4. 9 through 11. Boy, y'all, look at y'all. Write these things down. Y'all going to be teaching your kids and your, I love it, your co-workers. Great discussion is going to be had this week. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, okay, 9 through 11. Listen to what he says. Y'all, y'all had time to write it? Well, I can go ahead and read it. All right, for, uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised too? Now, remember that, that there's the connection here is between Jew and Gentile. Jews had the outward sign of circumcision that, that said they were a, in covenant relationship with God, and Gentiles did, did not. For we say, I'm reading still, that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? Was it the circumcision? Was it the, was it the action that made him right with God? Was it the activity of the circumcision? No, listen to what he says. While he was circumcised or uncircumcised, and then he answers the question, not while circumcised, but on the contrary, while uncircumcised. So it was not the action of circumcision that made him right with God. In the same manner, it is not the act of baptism that makes you right with God. 
Some of y'all are putting this up and you're smiling because it's all coming together and making sense to you. But let me finish. All right, let me finish because I'm not there yet. Hang on. And so not while, going back, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision. Oh, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while he was still, help me somebody, uncircumcised. Glory to God. A person then can be saved and not be baptized. Just ask the thief on the cross. So then I think we've made it unequivocally clear that baptism does not, in fact, bring about salvation. Instead, Abraham's saving faith before the sign of circumcision in the same way our justification by faith before the sign of, come on, y'all, baptism. Let me say it again. Abraham's saving faith was before the outward sign of circumcision, much the same way our justification by faith before the sign of Baptism, do you see that? Does it make sense to you now? Oh, you've read uh, Romans 4, 9 to 11 before and they had no idea what in heaven's name he was talking about. And he was painting a picture to me and you to help clarify what we believe. All right, let me just ask one more question before we move on, all right? Now then, what about Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38? Because I've had a lot of conversation with people who said, no, 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 you've got to be baptized. And if you're not baptized, you're not going to heaven. And they use Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38 as their supporting text. One verse as their supporting text. Y'all, y'all with me? You ever had anybody say that? You ever had anybody at work tell you that? Somebody tell you, well, you got to be. So let me just sort of blow holes in that if I could. Here we go. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So one of these are affirmative actions. One of them are causative. What? Hang on. Let's say that, and I'm going to use somebody for an example. I'm going to use Jimmy for an example. That be all right? Good, here I go. Jimmy has decided he's going to uh, Colorado, all right? He's going to take an airplane. And he and I are, because we do this sometimes, we get in conversation and we, we let time slip by. And all of a sudden, uh, I look at the clock and I say, Jimmy, you better grab your sunglasses and run or you're going to miss your flight, okay? Now, what is the object of the action to catch the flight to Colorado. What is the uh, 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 action of our salvation that we are made right with God? Okay. Now, which one of those directions did I give him that are affirmative, one that's affirmative, in other words, it just kind of affirms things, and which one is causative? Well, if he forgets his sunglasses but he still runs, guess what? Oh, he'll still make the flight. I believe with all my heart the way in which it's written and the, and the tenses of the verb is, says to us the same thing, repent and be baptized. It's two instructions, but one is causative and one's affirmative. One affirms what you have taken as an act of cause. What's the act of cause? Faith in Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and a personal surrender to him uh, and receiving him as Lord of your life. Is that making sense to anybody? Oh, I'm so glad I gave you the illustration. You'll be able to share that with somebody. You know, grab your sunglasses is and what I'm going to call not an affirmative but an accompanying act. Does that make sense? It's just something he does. Now, there may be, listen, there may be a lot of good reasons why he needed to bring his sunglasses. His eyes may have gotten dilated that, that morning, right? So any of you ever had your eyes dilated? Uh, I had that done for the first time about two or three years ago, and they, they said, you got your sunglasses? I said, I don't need my sunglasses. And they said, okay, big boy. And they said, we're going to give you this little, it's a roll, like old camera film. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And they gave me this little rolled up thing, and they said, here, use these. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And I unrolled it. It was like this weird little shape of sunglasses that rolled right back up like a spring. And I said, I don't need those. And they said, they said, Brother Terry, please take these. 
And so they had a dim lit in the office. And listen, when I went outside, uh, I thought I had landed on the sun. Uh, there were beams of sunlight penetrating all the way to my optic nerve. I'm telling you, it was terrible. And so now, listen, um, so he may have had his eyes dilated. And it may be very, very critical, very, very important that he gets his sunglasses but if he doesn't and he's able to squint, because if you squint enough, you know, and put your visor down, and you could still, if you'll run, you'll still make it to the flight. And if you'll repent and confess Jesus as Lord, you'll still, you're still, you with me? You'll still make it. But though it is very, very important for you to follow through in baptism. If you've identified with him, you ought to be baptized. If he's been born again, the first act of, of, of obedience ought to be that you can't wait to get baptized, publicly de demonstrating what's happened in your life, that Christ died for you and you also died and were buried with him in this wonderful sign of what happened at your salvation. And as you come out of the water, you're depicting to the people that I, uh, Jesus rose from the dead and he's made me alive and it ought to be on the first end of your heart tonight. I'm telling you, if you've not been baptized, you ought to see before you leave this place. Matter of fact, altar call, you ought to come running down. You ought to come running down. Y'all, if you're listening online, y'all put it in the comments and put a way for us to get a hold of you if you're around anywhere close or find a church close to you that will baptize you and you can go forward in your faith. So I hope tonight that we have made clear and true this picture of salvation, saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit, uh, even apart from baptism. I'm going to give you one more verse and I'm going to leave it alone. I feel like I've given you so much ammunition, now you're going to go out and pick on people. Don't pick on anybody. Okay, but I will say that the hours and hours and hours of study that I put in this week, I pray that you are fully, you have, you have a full good understanding, and you really can't argue it in your mind anymore because you've got too much scriptural evidence. And so here we go. Look with me, if you will, and uh, write this verse, Acts chapter 10, verse number 47. Here's what's said. You ready for the quote? Can anyone forbid water? Can anybody forbid water that these should not be baptized who, <laughs> watch this. Past tense. Come on, somebody. Who? Come on, y'all. Have received the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that beautiful? Just as we have. So then, you tell him I don't have to be water baptized to be saved and receive the Holy Ghost? Well, yeah, according to the Scripture. But at the same time, it is of monumental importance that you follow through in believers' baptism. Let me close, if I could, in Roman numeral four. Good night. We've gone over, and I'm probably, the kids are back there restless and so we got to hurry, okay? Y'all got, got three more. I need to make three quick statements before we close. Y'all cool with that? You know I'm going to. If you need to leave, go ahead, all right? My preacher used to say growing up, I grew up going to Harmony, he'd always say, if you get through before me and the Holy Spirit do, there's a door there and a door right there and a door right there. I'm not saying that to you. I'm just telling you what he told us. I'm telling you what he told us, all right? Some of y'all heard Brother Clark say that over the years, all right? Number four, write this in your notes, all right? Remember number four. Due to Christ, now we're going to just kind of build from where we, where we stopped and go forward a little bit in chapter four. And here's what I want you to write. Due to Christ's suffering, we should live differently. Now, all that I just shared with you is not the thrust of the text, which sort of hurts me that I spent so much time explaining something that really is not the thrust of the text. It's not the main point of the text. But listen, I still believe it's very important for me and you to understand it, wrap our minds around it, okay? Now, please, by show of hands, how many of you can say that you understand it now and you didn't before? Raise your hand if you got, a, got, a, you got your hands around it, your head around it. All right, praise be to God. Now, go back and read it and study and pray through it and let it get settled deep down in your heart, okay? And now, let me just go to build on this if I can. This is verse 1 through 6 of chapter 4. Are you ready? Due to Christ's suffering, we should live different. Number 1, number one. this is going to be verses 1 through 3. Write it down. Our conduct should show our suffering Savior's power. The power of his suffering. What he did and what he went through. And it had great power to transform my life. Verses 1 
through 6. Y'all tracking with me? You had time to write it so we can read? All right, I'm going to wait on you for just a second. You there? All right, no, all right, I'm waiting again. I'm trying to wait. Y'all know I'm not good at waiting. Are we ready? Verse number 1. That's all I can do. That's all I got in me. Verse number 1. Therefore, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. See what he's saying? Because Jesus suffered for me and you, this is what we ought to do. Arm yourselves with the same mind, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In other words, because of the suffering he went through, we ought not let sin dominate our tails anymore. Uh, he offered us uh, forgiveness and freedom to not have to live as slaves of sin anymore. Verse 2, that he no longer should live, we should no longer live the rest of our time in the flesh for the lusts of men. Instead, we should live for why? Because of the suffering of Jesus. See, it ties right back to it. The suffering of Jesus ought to motivate me in the morning. He suffered for me. I want to live for him. He suffered for me. I don't want to live for me. He suffered for me. I don't want to live for you. He suffered for me. I don't care about what you think and if it pleases you or not. He, su he suffered for me, so I want to live for him. Somewhere we've gotten that misconstrued. We, we say, well, that's living according to the law. No, no. It's a love-based obedience. It says, I love him because he loved me first, therefore I want to live for him. So he no longer should live the rest of our time in the flesh. By the way, you only have a limited time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Four, verse number three, we have spent, I wish somebody would help me right here, enough of our past lifetime. You and I have spent too much time living for our own way and our own design and our own will and our own pleasures and our own comfort and our own safety and our own and our own and our own. It's past time. For me and you to lay down our arms and quit resisting the Holy Spirit's guidance in our everyday life. It's past time for us to keep co-piloting with Jesus. It is high time that we begin to surrender our lives in every area, thought and deed. To say, Lord Jesus, you're worthy of it all. Not just my songs on Sunday morning, but my allegiance to you on Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Tuesday, Wednesday. Come on, somebody. Every moment of every hour of every day. He's worth it. He is worth it. So then, he says, we ought not live that way. We've spent enough time there. And by the way, I've done enough damage in my life. Somebody said to me, man, I don't understand why you're still excited. You, you sort of kind of, I don't know, I don't know how to take you. You're excited all the time. After all these years, you're preaching four times, you're still excited. I said, are you kidding me? Do you know what I've done? You know where I've been? You know the damage I caused? You know how much time I spent there? And so, man, I just want to, I don't, I want to live for him with whatever days I've got left. I spent enough time. That, that rings home with me. I don't know if you get that, but it rings home with me. I spent enough time back there. I don't want to go back to the vomit, and I'm not going to flesh that one out tonight. Okay? Use your imagination. Verse 3, we spend enough of our time doing the will of Gentiles. What is it? What are the, what's the will of people who don't know God? Lewdness, lusts, wanting for what you're not supposed to have. Drunkenness. Drunkenness. Ah, it's a big deal if I drink and get drunk. It's a huge deal. It's disobedience to God. That's what it is. Revelries, drinking parties. I, 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 you know, as I was studying this week, I said, my goodness, uh, weddings, which are supposed to be a holy ceremony of two people covenant, covenant, reunion, uh, covenant union with God, have become that which he said marks the unbeliever. Have you thought about that? Drinking parties. Uh, what else is he going to say? Now, notice he's mentioned drink drunk with alcohol twice now. We've had some relation now. Drinking parties and abominable idolatries, putting things Ahead of God that ought not be ahead of God. And by the way, if I was to ask you what is it that should not be ahead of God, your answer ought to be yes. Everything ought to not be ahead of God. 
All right, so we've said so far our conduct should show our suffering Savior's power to transform. Number two, oh, we have to hurry. Number two, verse number four. It's one verse. We ought to be able to carry this one quickly, all right? If, if, you're not, if I'll preach quick and you'll listen quick, we'll be all right. Number two, the world will not understand. When the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of your heart and your mind and you transform, you're no longer, getting, you're no longer a part of the drinking parties, your wedding looks different, uh, your, your family reunions look different, your crawfish bowls look different. I wish somebody would understand what I'm saying right now. I'm talking about everyday life. All of a sudden, what you used to do, you don't do anymore. And what will happen is those people that used to run with you and you ran with them and we ran hard and fast, didn't we? Me and two of y'all. Some of y'all lying. I'm going to hit you again. You ready? I know you were getting sleepy. You ready to get through, but let me just kind of wake you up. You ready? Here it is. We ran fast and we ran hard, didn't we? And when you stop running fast and you stop running hard and you stop and you walk with the Lord Jesus and you start observing righteousness, not just received from Jesus, but lived out through a relationship with Jesus, people do not want to hang out with you anymore if they're not living the same lifestyle. They'll forget your number. They'll forget your name. They'll get weird with you in Walmart. You know what I'm talking about? They'll have that buggy full of a suitcase, and I'm not talking about the kind of suitcase you pack with your clothes to go on an airplane. I'm talking about that suitcase of natural light or bud light or what have you, and they'll see you, and they won't look you in the eyes. They won't give you eye contact, and they'll try to duck you and dodge you. Why? Because the righteousness of Christ in you brings conviction on their life. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to preach to them. You don't have to say nothing. You don't have to make fun. And by the way, you shouldn't. You shouldn't make fun of them because, listen, behavior modification is not what we're into. We want their heart to fall in love with Jesus, and he'll do all that. He'll do all that. So as we walk through this text, I don't, I'm still having so much fun, I hate to close. The world will understand, verse 4, in regard to these things, right, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. And they will even think it strange to the point that they will, can y'all believe Shane? He's, he's, he's so holy than now, he got up there and give his testimony. We, we remember when he used to, huh? Don't think they won't do it. They will do it. They did it to me. They'll do it to you. And it doesn't cause us to hate them. We should expect it. Matter of fact, we ought to see it as a badge of honor that we would get to be talked about for the glory of Jesus' name. That because Jesus has made such a transformation in how we think and how we live, and we don't do the things we used to do anymore, we don't put up with all that nonsense anymore, and we live for the glory of God, and what will happen is they're going to talk bad about you. They're going to talk bad about you. So the world will not understand. Number three. This is the final thing in your notes. Boy, I bet your pen's hot. That thing, some of y'all's pen's smoking. Blaine, it's, it's hot, ain't it? I thought it was. So you're just getting after it over there, all right? Number three, judgment day is coming. Oh, my. Verse number five and six. They will, oh, man, listen to this. They will, who's they? They who don't know God, those who are living the old lifestyle, those who make fun of you and Forget your name and don't want to hang out with you anymore. Those that make fun of you because you're holier than thou or a holy roller or Jesus freak, whatever they call you now. Uh, verse 5, they will give an account to, not to you, not to the president, not to the not to law enforcement. They'll give an account to him. Now listen to this next three-word statement. Who is ready? He didn't have to make ready to pass judgment. He's ready. Listen to me. He didn't have to collect evidence to see whether or not he knows. You can't masquerade with him. You can't dress up and play religion. You can't tote your Bible and go to church enough to fool him. He's ready. He's ready to judge right now. He's ready. Who is ready to judge the living and the dead? Now, how does he judge the dead? He's talking about those who've already died. 
they'll be judged the same way those that are living are judged. And this one he says, verse number 6, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, right? They heard the good news too. They heard the good news. Those who are dead were still given the same good news, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. They heard the same gospel. Those that have died are saved the same way for those of us who are alive. It is the, by faith in Jesus Christ alone and His work on the cross and who He is. God the Son, become man to die for us. And Jesus is ready to judge. And I wonder, I wonder if you're ready to be judged. You see, he's ready to judge at all times. But what I wonder tonight, and what I've been praying about every day that God gives me to preach, is are you ready for the judgment that is to come? And if you're not, if right now you have a little bit of an unsettled feeling, if you begin to look over your life and never really can pinpoint a time in which you really turned over your life to Jesus, can I tell you something? There's no better time than right here and right now. There's no better time. You, you're not promised tomorrow. Now, y'all hold up, pins are clicking and paper's rattling, and somebody right now, the Holy Spirit of God's wrestling with their heart, and we're making all kind of, y'all just hold off for me for just a second. Eternity hangs in the balance, and Jesus stands ready to judge. And the only hope you have of being right with him is to confess him as your Lord and Savior. Not only does he stand ready to judge, but let me tell you this today. You ready? Here's the good news. He stands ready to forgive. He, he stands ready to pardon. He stands ready to cleanse from within. He, he stands ready to give purpose. He, he stands ready to gift you with his Holy Spirit. He stands ready to make the wrongs right. Amen. He stands ready to take the mess of your life and the religion of the past and give you a purpose to live that will outlive your life here on earth. He is ready not just to judge but also to pardon. And my question is, what have you done and what will you do with King Jesus? Could we take just a second and bow together? Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? And I want to say to you, as those around you are kind of settling their stuff over to the side, if the Spirit of God is dealing with you tonight and you know beyond the shadow of a doubt you've not been born again, I would challenge you tonight simply in your chair right now to pray something like this. If you mean it from your heart, Lord Jesus, would you come and be Lord of my life, be above all things. Tonight I'm turning the reins over to you and I'm finding salvation in your finished work, what you did on the cross, and the power of your resurrection, I want to live inside me, to transform me. And if you'll pray that tonight with all your heart, if you'll mean that with your whole heart, you know what God will do in response? He'll save you. He'll forgive your sin. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. He'll give you a purpose, a task, a mission to live. And so tonight, I simply say, would you be willing tonight to confess Jesus Christ as Lord? I want to invite you tonight, if you would, pray with me. Will you do that as the music begins to play? Would you pray with me? Maybe there's some of you who maybe come to the altar and just begin to pray. There's some lost person in your life that you need to be praying for. Maybe somebody here in the audience, somebody in the crowd that you want to just say, hey, you know what, I just feel compelled to me and you to go to the altar and pray. Maybe two best friends would come and pray at the altar. Maybe a husband and wife. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a young person and a, and a parent. I don't know. Maybe somebody would be willing just to come together and pray. Just, just call on the Lord Jesus. And would you, would you just humbly ask him to, to, to save? He's the only one who can. He's the only one who can. So would you pray that God would save tonight to the utmost, whether it be in this room or somebody online? Listen, if you're listening somewhere away from here, you can just put in the comments, tonight I've, I invited Jesus to be Lord of my life. Put it in the comments and we'll come back. We'll reach out to you. We'll help you with the next steps of discipleship. You see, that's the, the salvation. Confessing Jesus as Lord is the, is the starting line, not the finish line. And we want to help you in that. We want to encourage you in that, cheer you on.
so in just a minute, we're going to have an opportunity for those in the room, those online. Uh, I'd encourage you right now, if you make Jesus Lord, I, I want to just ask you tonight, don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Some of us here tonight need to follow through in baptism. We, we failed to realize the significance of it. If following Jesus means I'm going to follow Jesus, Jesus himself was baptized. So somebody tonight, the Holy Spirit has just been speaking so clearly to you, and you, you have no choice but to come tonight and say, I'm ready, I want to follow through in baptism. Others of you, God's calling you to a specific task, a ministry. He's calling you to some specific thing He wants to do in your life. Some of you tonight in the room, He's calling you to return to Him because He loves you and He's missed you, and you've drifted and He misses you. So, Father, I pray tonight you take this time of response, and, Lord, your kingdom would come and your will would be done. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. It's so refreshing. And I pray tonight if there's one lost soul, God, they would come and we would celebrate their salvation. Someone would return. God, I pray you move now. As these at the altar are crying out to you, we're crying out. God, help us. Save somebody tonight. Transform somebody's life tonight. Remind them who they are in you. So please meet with us as we continue. In the precious name of Jesus, bind the enemy in Jesus' name. Amen.